James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it, it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is, unruly, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we start off this lesson that you would teach us how to deal with conflicts with one another. How to curtail the words that come out of our mouths. It says here in your word that this is pretty much an impossible mission. Because if we could keep our tongues from saying terrible things, we'd probably be perfect. So Lord, I pray that you would make us perfect as you are perfect. You make us holy as you are holy. So the words that we speak would be seasoned with salt and impart grace to the hearers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. People always say, don't care what other people think. Don't care what other people say. But have you ever stopped to think what would happen if we ceased to care? Don't care what people think about you. Don't care when people ridicule you, say terrible things all about you. Just don't care. Now, if we stop to care, think about this. If we stop to care about what our employer thinks about us, and our employer thinks that we're just goofing off at work, what's going to happen? We're going to get fired. What about if your parents think that you're smoking dope? Oh, I don't care what your parents think, man. Well, if you don't care what they think, what's going to happen? You're going to be grounded for life because they think you're smoking dope, and you're not. What about youth leaders thinking that you're a flirt? Don't care what they think? You should probably care what they think. No, listen. And you go up to the person and say, listen, I, I'm telling you, I don't even know who that girl is. I've never seen her in my life. It would seem like we should care what people think and what people say about us. In fact, isn't it the opinion, opinion of others that makes labels so harmful and gossip so powerful? It's the very fact that what people think about us matters that makes us feel the weight when people talk about us. If people call you a prostitute, if people call you a whore, it's not just like, oh, well, I just, I'm not going to care what they think. Because everybody else is going to be influenced by what, what other people say about you. 
if people call you a liar. If people say, oh, yeah, that person's just, he's a compulsive liar. You've been given a label. And now what happens? You try to make friends, and every friend is going to think, oh, yeah, well, that guy, he's a, he's a compulsive liar. And what happens? No one trusts you. It would seem to be the case that the Bible is true when it says in verse 5, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. When someone spreads a rumor about you, it seems to spread all over the place, just as a small ember in a forest, as Smokey the Bear would say, you can prevent forest fires. It's true. When I was at the Bible college, someone spread a rumor around <laughs> that I was desperate for a wife. And so I became a leper on campus. The only reason I'm telling you this is because I really don't care. I don't care what people think. But I realized I kind of did when people came up to me and said, you know, when I first met you, I was like, oh, there he goes looking for a wife. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. It's terrible. And, it, like, and then I just thought, like, do all 500 people on campus think that I'm like this weird, desperate geek? And so it's like, it just it would destroy my effectiveness. Anytime I like try to minister to someone, say hello to someone, in the back of their mind, I'm like, huh, but he's desperate. <laughs> See how great a forest, a fire, a little, yes, you get the point. It would seem that what people say about us actually does matter. And that's why we have to be so careful with the words that we say. And I think this is especially pertinent for us because there is so much gossip when it comes to youth group, and that's probably one of the biggest reasons why people don't come to church or come to youth group. It's because, yeah, this person always talks trash about me. Yeah, that person said this to me, and I don't know if I can ever go back because every time I go, people look at me differently. And today, with our technology, it's just so easy to vent on social media. Before, it's like if you're really bitter at someone, you might tell a friend, you might tell another friend, whatever, and that's it. But today, if you're mad at someone, you can post a status and the entire world knows how you feel. And it, I mean, everyone has those days when you're upset, right? And it doesn't even last for like five seconds. You're just like, oh man, that guy's a jerk. But if you chose in that five seconds to vent on social media, now, all of your friends have this picture in their mind that you are just this upset, your, your day is ruined, your life is ruined, you're never talking to them ever again. And you'll heavily insinuate, right? It's not just like you don't call them out, but it's like, somebody ruined my day today. And somebody, everybody knows who it is. It's so much easier because of the technology that we have to lie via text message. Before, you knew that if you try to lie to your parents, lie to your friends, that you give off cues with your body language. But now it's kind of like you can write out the perfect text message. You can write whatever you want, and there's no uh, thing that's going to give off the fact that you might be lying. So might as well lie. Gossip spreads like a gunshot in a mountain range. The echoes are louder than the first shot. And as it reverberates, it seems like it gets bigger and bigger. And so one person spreads one rumor. They might even not be that mad at you. But the fact that they're just a little bit ticked at you, someone carries that rumor to somebody else and says, oh, yeah, well, that person's really upset with you. I mean, they told me about it. If they told me about it, they must be really, really, really mad. And then you get that from the second person, and then you interpret it a different way. 
and you feel like this monster is about to be unleashed. Well, you see, Satan is the father of all lies. And I think one of the greatest tactics of Satan is to divide the body of Christ. He wants to sever off the head, which is Christ, and he wants to divide the members, which are us, the members of his body. He wants to turn the tables on each other so that we don't stick together. Many people here like to come for church. You know, you like to come for the message, but as soon as it's over, you jet or you don't come for the worship because there's something here. Maybe there's a person you're still upset with. And because of that, it's kind of like you're in and you're out. You do your duty for God and you leave. But the Bible says you can sum up all the commandments of the Bible in two ways. Ready? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The loving your neighbor part actually really, really matters. Because God actually says, how can you say that you love your father but hate your neighbor? Hate your brother or sister in Christ. How can you say that you love God but you hate his family? And just as you can't choose who your brother and sister are in a real physical sense, you can't choose who your spiritual brother or sister is. And so we got to be careful that we're not just picking and choosing who we, who we get to love. Because the Bible says even gangsters and mobsters, paraphrase, love people that love them back. What credit is, is it to you if you love people that love you back? That's easy. How about you loving the people that hate you, spitefully use you, persecute you, your enemies? Because only the love of Jesus can do that. No other love will do. So it would seem that what people think and say about us does matter. So how do we react? Let's put ourselves in the shoes of this person right now that's gossiped about. How would you react if you found out someone was spreading rumors about you? Typically, I think we do that in four ways. Firstly, we defend ourselves. You hear a rumor about yourself and you want to defend yourself or you make an excuse. No, I wasn't late. No, I didn't say that. Oh, well, you know, I've never been like that before. So why would I start now? You start defending yourself. I mean, have you ever sent a text message like you were going to gossip about someone and you send a text message to that person that you were gossiping about? Like I've done that before. And I'm like, no, no, why? My day is ruined. And it's like God's like convicting me. It's like, you see, this is what you get. And so the person's like, what? And like gets all mad. I'm like, haha, I'm joking. <laughs> gotcha. Was that funny? I'm making fun of you. So we defend ourselves. The reason why we do that is we don't want people to think badly about us. How many times have you talked to someone that you thought was hurting you, gossiping you, or whatever, and they say things like, please just don't be mad at me. Please, I just, I don't want you to not like me anymore. Don't hate me. Why do you say that? It's because you just want to be through the situation so the person doesn't label you a person that they don't like. One that's out of the team or out of the club. Another thing, another way that we react, that another way that we react is that we retaliate. So, oh man, that person said this. Well, it seems that I'm going to go up to that person and let them know. Or I'm going to spread this gossip about them because I know who they really are. Number three, we discredit others. So when a person says something about you, you try to discredit that witness so no one believes them. Like, okay, yeah, well, they're saying that about me, but we all know they're crazy. 
We all know that person's a liar. So why would you believe that person? Well, that person said you said this about me. Like, yeah, but why would you trust them? Aren't I a good friend? Haven't we been friends forever? Don't believe that person. Believe me. Or number four, we'll grow bitter. So very practical stuff today. And hopefully you can identify with some of these things. You'll defend yourself. You'll retaliate. You'll grow bitter. Or you'll discredit that person. Is growing bitter the solution? Is that what we want to do when someone gossips about us? When someone slanders us? I don't think so. I think the Bible speaks against that. And I think it's evident in our lives that if you're bitter and you cut that person off, those bitter wounds never fully heal. And it ruins your effectiveness in the body of Christ. How can you serve in the church of God when there's always that little, little bitterness that's creeping inside of your heart? And whenever you serve, whenever you see that person, that immediately steals your joy. Like, oh, that person. Oh, I can't believe you know what that person did. And every time that person that you're bitter at succeeds in life, it makes you more and more bitter. God, how could you honor that person when you know who they really are? You know they're just a liar and a thief. And they stole my girlfriend. Whatever. How should we react when people gossip about us? Well, I would ask, what did Jesus do? Was Jesus ever gossiped about? Was the solution Jesus had to not care? What if people said, hey, Jesus, you know what? Just don't care what people think. Was that the solution? Did Jesus not really care what anyone thought? I think the fact that Jesus was reviled, he was insulted, and he did care is what makes him so relatable and what makes his forgiveness that much more awesome. Because if it was just like, yeah, you're just like a little worm and you're making fun of me, I don't care. That doesn't have the same way as having love for someone and they persecute you, they reject you. And we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to be insulted by someone we thought we could trust and someone that we thought we loved. Think about this. Jesus washed Judas's feet. In those days, that was really insulting. That was the lowest of lows in the way that you could serve someone. Like think of the most despicable thing you could do. And Jesus did that in those days. Your feet were so stinky. I mean, think about like you had corns on your feet. You had mold and I don't know, you had elephants on your feet. You had all kinds of gross things in your toes. And Jesus stooped down and washed Judas's feet, knowing that Judas would betray him. That's the kind of love that Jesus has. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. So here it is. This is the example. This is what we can model, that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Here's the solution. Jesus, when he was reviled, when he was threatened, when he was insulted, didn't return the favor. Instead, he committed himself to God who judges righteously. In other words, the key is that Jesus let the Father remedy the situation. He let the Father be the one who is going to judge righteously. In other words, yeah, it hurts when someone makes fun of you. It hurts when someone gossips about you. 
but you know who you are. Jesus never for a moment forgot who he was. So the insults that hurt most are the ones that we believe are true. It hurts the most when people call you a whore and you know that you've been sleeping around. It hurts you the most when people call you a liar and you know that you've been de deceiving and lying. It hurts the most when you've been making fun of other people and people say that you're a jerk because you know those things are true. But Jesus never for a moment forgot who he was. And so when he was reviled, although those things may have hurt at first, he didn't revile, he didn't, he didn't go in anger and retaliate. He trusted that God the Father was going to make everything right and would give according to the measure that people gave him. We are increasingly becoming too dependent on the opinions of other people for our self-worth. It's too often that in our day and age that we are depending on other people to give us value. And that's why we retaliate, we get defensive, we get bitter. It's because we need people to love us. Because if people don't love you, now you're going to be the outcast. Now you can't obtain what you want. And here's the interesting thing. Ready? I think, I think it's biblical. We'll talk about it in a second. I think that gossip, slander, stems from envy and discontentment. And here's why. You would never gossip about someone if you weren't trying to bring them down and raise yourself up. You never gossip about someone if they didn't have something that you wanted. So here's an example. Let's say that you are really, really bitter, really, really discontent because someone got the, got the, you know, praise from their teacher and you worked really hard on that school project or whatever. And then you start gossiping, you start slandering, oh, that person's dumb. How did that person get a better grade than me? That person's losing, they don't even study. How did that even happen? Why are you slandering? Why are you gossiping? It's because you want it to be recognized and they have something you wanted. You bring that person down so that you can be raised up. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You'll never talk about things that aren't rooted deep down inside of your heart. So when you say something, you slip, and you're like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Actually, you meant to say that, and it came out. So if we are gossiping, things are coming out of our mouths, that's because the root is bitterness, discontentment, and envy for what other people have. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 1, where do fights and uh, wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So if you're fighting, you're devouring, you're hurting each other, is it not because you have a desire for pleasure and you can't obtain it? You want things and they're not coming to you. And so you want to tear everybody else down. I mean, we are just too dependent on other people to give us self-worth because they have something that we want. And so on social media, if people aren't liking your things, if people aren't texting back when you text them, it's like you feel like you're not valued. And you feel like you are less than everybody else. But the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. In other words, if you are a Christian today, you have been made into a new creation. So your heart should have been changed. God should have taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. 
So think about this. If you have a heart of flesh, if you have a soft heart that's able to be molded and shaped by God's will, if you are envious, doesn't that show the real problem is that you're not content with what God ha has given you? That's what we talked a couple weeks ago or even maybe a month ago. That if you're discontent, the real problem is that you haven't been thankful for what God has given you. Perhaps you need to start praising him. Perhaps you have to start reflecting on what it is that God has given you. Breath, life, etc. You see, Paul knew this secret. Paul the Apostle, he was in prison. He was chained in between two guards. He was evangelizing them. He didn't care. No one could rob him of his joy. It doesn't matter if he was the biggest loser in the eyes of man. He knew that he was a winner in God's kingdom. And so he says this in Philippians chapter 4. You can flip there real quick. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. So Paul, when he was in prison, says this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, the Philippians, he's like, hey, by the way, thanks a lot for... Uh, giving me all the things that I need. Oh, wait, you didn't. But don't worry, it's not like I needed those things anyway. He didn't say it sarcastically. I just added that sarcasm just for flavor. And I shouldn't have. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. What did he say? He said he learned contentment. I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, what he's saying here is, he was writing to the Philippians, like, listen, if you're like, I, I'm thankful that you care about me. And even though you didn't like show it and stuff, I know that you really did care. You just lacked opportunity. You didn't have the chance to give me the things that I really needed. But listen, I didn't even need it. I didn't even need those things because I've learned the secret of contentment. I know how to deal with a lot and I know how to deal with a little. Whether I have a lot or a little, it doesn't matter to me because I can do all things through Christ who continually supplies strength in me. It's like God is continually infusing strength in him and he's just like, I don't really care. Whether people give me what I need or not, it doesn't even matter to me because my joy can't be removed from my life. How, how was he content? How did he do that? He stopped relying on other people to give him what only God could give him. So everyone look up here. If you're envious, if you're discontent, if you're bitter, if gossip is killing you inside, perhaps you're looking to people to give you things that only God can give you. You're looking to a relationship to give you love that only God's true love can give you. You're looking to friends to value you in a way that only God can value you. And if you mix up those two things, here's, here's the problem. If you look to a relationship to give you the love that only God can give you, you're going to put a God-weighted love on that person in terms of expectations. You're going to expect that person to be God for you and to show you God's love in a way that's going to crush them under the weight of your expectations. And the minute they fail you, the minute they, they don't give you what you really need, the minute they're not your everything, you're going to be crushed as well. So it's important to remember that if we are not content, that's because we haven't recognized what Paul did, 
which is stop relying on other people to give you what only God could give you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about Paul. The apostle, therefore, exhorts us to get into that state in which we shall be independent of what is happening round and about us, even in these things. We must cultivate this glorious self-sufficiency. The first thing we need to recognize when we have people gossiping about us is to bring it to Jesus. The first thing. So if you want to write that down, you're taking notes. First thing, when people gossip about you, you bring that concern to Jesus. That is so, so important. Because when you do, you remember that Jesus gives you everything you need. It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter if a person on the planet likes you. Because you know what God thinks about you. And even if you are falsely accused, even if you're falsely, completely just, you know, lied about, it doesn't matter. Because you know Jesus is in control. So the reviling of man loses its power when Jesus is your defender. The reviling of man loses its power when Jesus is your defender. If God is in control, he's the one who sees all things, you know, okay, I, I haven't forgotten who I am. Just as Jesus didn't forget who he is, he knows that he committed no sin. You can remember that Jesus is your defender, and even if a person, not a person on the planet likes you, you know Jesus is behind you. Luke chapter 6, verse 22 says, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their prophets did to the, their fathers did to the prophets. So Luke is saying, I mean, Jesus is saying in Luke that, listen, if people hate you because of me, that's great, because you're going to have a huge reward in heaven. You should be rejoicing, jumping up and down with joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. You realize that's exactly what they did to the prophets in the Old Testament? They would stone them. They would hurt them and all the kinds of things. And Paul says, listen, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Don't bother me. Don't let any, anybody, anybody doubt the fact that I have been bold for Jesus Christ because I bear on my body his marks. And he was proud of it. And you can be proud of the persecutions you endure. Do not be surprised if you start to follow Jesus and people start hating you. Because that's what Jesus said. Many will hate you because of my sake. That's why it's kind of funny when like certain people try to be celebrities in Christianity because weakness is the way. It's not bad. To, I wouldn't say it's bad to be famous and to be a Christian. But if we are being Christian to be famous, we've missed the mark completely. Because Jesus said narrow is the way to life and few people find it. Here's the problem though. What if... You are reviled because you actually did do something bad. Actually, 1 Peter says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. In other words, a gossip. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So yeah, like, what do you do if you really do deserve all the gossip that's against you? If you really did do something nasty or messed up? Well, this is what I would say to you. How did Jesus treat the woman who was caught in the middle of adultery. I mean, that's in the Bible, John 8. A woman was having sex with some dude, having adultery, and people somehow, I know it's really creepy, found her and was like, look, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. What do you say about this woman, Jesus? And Jesus said, who amongst you has never sinned before? 
And then you know the whole story from there. And then he talks to the woman and says, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So you can know you're safe. Even if you are suffering as an evildoer and you did do some stuff that's messed up, know that you can always bring it to Jesus. If you're willing to repent, he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he'll be the one who defended you. So God defended a woman who was in the middle of an adulterous act. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. This woman was in the middle of sin. It wasn't like he gave us like, you know what? Let's take a year, a year break, and then we'll talk about, you know, your restoration. We'll talk about how I'm going to defend you from all these people who are about to stone you. Right in the middle, he defended her from her critics. Here's the second point. Not only do you bring that gossip to Jesus, but you have to bring it before the right people. Look at chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 18 with me. Matthew chapter 18. Here are four guidelines with dealing with a Christian that sins against you. If a person's spreading rumors about you, gossiping about you, this is what the Bible says is the way to deal with those problems. Two verses, Matthew 15, or three verses, through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear him, to hear, hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So first, the four, first of the four guidelines is that you go to the person directly and privately. So it says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's it. First step, someone gossips about you. The first thing you do is not... Uh, I'm going to tell all my friends. I'm going to go up to somebody I don't know and be like, what do you think about this situation? No, go to that person directly, which means that you're timely. You go, you don't wait because delays may cause the person to forget the offense. Like, wait, what? You're bringing up something from last year? What's wrong with you? Don't wait. Go to that person directly and privately, which means you're not bottling up that gossip inside. Also means privately, not going in public and nobody else. Because as impossible as it may seem for you, whenever you paint a bad picture of someone else, you're sinning against them. If you are painting a bad picture of someone in someone else's mind, you are sinning against them. That's what it says in verses 9 through 10 of James. If you wanted to look at that real quick, I closed out of it. But James chapter 3, it says in verse 9, with it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. In other words, you can't be a person who says you're filled with the Holy Spirit and out of your mouth comes a whole bunch of garbage. So if you say that you've been changed, you've been renewed, and you're just splattering all kinds of slander about other people, you're not living the new life crisis uh, allowed you to live. 
So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So why is it that you should go to them directly, right away, and alone, privately? Well, that's because they may have offended you unintentionally. I mean, how many times have you done that? You've gossiped about something, you said something, and you're like, oh, man, I, I completely didn't even understand. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm, I'm just, like, lost, and I'm, please forgive me. And it's resolved. It's over. But we assume, like, oh, that person, you know, they probably, they've been spreading so many lies about me. You don't know that. So go to that person privately because maybe you just misunderstood that person. In verse 2 of James, it says, Indeed, we, make, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We all make mistakes. So give people the benefit of the doubt. You know how many times, like, I have a propensity to be a jerk. I just do. It's just part of my personality. Everybody knows that here. And so what I try to do back when I worked at the gas station, I've talked about this when, like, some of you are in junior high, but when I was at the gas station... And I was having a terrible day or I was just like down. If you want to sound happy, you just change the tone of your voice. And you talk in a high pitch. It works every time. You can't talk in a high pitch and sound angry. Like, hi, how you doing? I'm mad. I'm not mad at all. It's impossible. Why do you hate me? Why did you lie about me? It's just impossible. Try next time. So people come to the gas station, hi, and just... People would look at me really strange, but they didn't think I was mad. They didn't think I was a jerk. So maybe it's the tone of voice. Maybe they had caps lock when they were typing on their phone. You don't know. Like how many times have grandma, any, anyone has a grandma that texts and it's all caps lock? And you're like, oh man, stop yelling at me, grandma. You don't know. We don't always mean what we say. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 Verses 21 through 22, and the NLT says, Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you, for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. Sometimes you overhear someone say something mean about you, and you're like, oh, I would never, my word. And you're like completely just devastated. But think about it. When's the last time that you said something about someone else and you didn't intend that person to hear it? All the time. So don't take that to heart because maybe they were just being silly. And a true believer will want to know when they've crossed the line. If the person's truly been, been made new by Jesus Christ, they'll want to know if they said something offensive. So go to that person privately and directly. Verse 16, let's say that you go up to that person and they just completely like, I ain't sorry. You're just super sensitive. Why don't you just like grow up? Then you take two, uh, one or two others as it says in verse 16. Why would you do that? Well, you do that, this is always in this practical stuff right now, so that you know it's not just your own bias and you're not just being sensitive. So you bring someone else in and you're like, hey, so what do you think about this? And that person can look from an objective standpoint. Now, this is not for your best friends forever to back you up. This is not like you're grabbing your homies like, all right, I'm going to politically maneuver to find all the people that love me. So we're going to go in and mob this person and kill them. No, this is to find a person who is going to see it from an unbiased perspective. Now, let's say that you took one or two and you brought, you had like this confrontation and said, hey, listen, that's messed up. You can't do that. Now, what do you do? 
Well, it says in verse 17 that you tell it to the church. Why do you do that? Because a youth pastor or leader can often offer some biblical counsel and provide some insight. Hopefully, at least. I mean, you would hope that a person in the church knows their Bible, and so they'll be able to guide you in the ways of the Lord. Now, if they don't listen to you, the latter part of verse 17, refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, if you have a dad or a mom that works for the IRS, this is not talking about your dad or mom. Like, treat them like someone who works for the IRS. Oh, snap. No, when it says a heathen or a tax collector, tax collectors back in those days would steal all kinds of money all the time. The taxes were so crazy. And so people hated the tax collectors because they were some of the lowest of low types of people. But it's not saying that you treat that person like you hate them. What it's saying is you treat them as your neighbor who doesn't believe in the Lord. So why would you cut off fellowship with that person? You do that in love with the purpose of restoration and to restore that fellowship. So anytime you would treat them as an outsider is only so that they could recognize their sin and then repent and be brought back in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there's an awkward situation where this dude in the church was sleeping with his, his uh, mother-in-law. Really awkward. And so Paul is writing, he's like, listen, not even people that aren't Christian do stuff like that. That's messed up. That's weird. You need to kick him out of the church. But you do that so that person realizes that he's dumb and then he's brought back into the church. That's what happened later on in first, it was first Corinthians and second Corinthians. So that's what happened. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. And we know that to be true, haven't we? That you've had a close friend and you've let gossip get in the way. It just ruins everything. I've had countless friends where it's like, we could have cleared this up so easily if someone said, I'm sorry. But you hold on to that bitterness. And that's how Satan divides the body of Christ. So we must learn to forgive. You know, Peter talking to Jesus later on in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, in verse 21 it says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. The law says that you forgive a person for three times and you're done. So Peter thought he was being generous. He's like, so what do you think? Like, like seven times? That sounds good. And Jesus is like, 70 times seven. And Peter's like, what? You're crazy. But you're not really crazy because you're Jesus. So I can't say that. So what was he saying? He was saying, as 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love keeps no record of being wronged. How many times have you reached the tipping point in your forgiveness? And you're like, you see, after all these times I've forgiven them, they still make the same mistakes. They said they'd never do it ever again, and they did it again. And you're bringing up all their past sins from like five years ago. But love keeps no record of being wronged. I remember there was, um, I've shared this story once before, but there was a youth leader that I had who was teaching one, one night at Impact, and he made a joke about Chinese food, and he pointed me out. <laughs> He's like, Chinese food? Like, everybody likes Chinese food, especially Alan. I'm like, yeah, I think it's great. I'm Japanese, but sure. And so he felt so bad, so bad, that he would come up to me, and every single time I saw him, 
He'd be like, Al, I'm so sorry. Will you ever forgive me? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't care. Like, people make those jokes all the time. I'm numb. I don't care. It's like, you don't forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm like, I forgive you. And then he'd see me the next time. And like, Al, I'm so sorry. Like, we couldn't even have a meaningful relationship anymore. Because every time I saw him, we couldn't talk about anything except how I couldn't forgive him. It's like, you don't even look like you care. I'm like, I don't care. I do not care. Let's move on. But it, what I think that shows is if you don't give up those grudges and you don't seek forgiveness, it will destroy you and rot you from the inside out. Imagine not forgiving someone after they've wronged you and that person moves away, that person dies. Can you imagine having that unresolved feeling of I never got to forgive that person? Alistair Begg has a great quote. He says this, if we are harboring unforgiveness towards someone, we'll find that we cannot worship or witness and our usefulness in the kingdom of God is sadly diminished. Can we who have been forgiven every debt by God honestly tell him that we plan to hold a grudge against our brother and sister the rest of our lives over what might be some marginal minimum offense? Of all things, the church is to be a people of forgiveness. Our pride is so great that we are reluctant to admit to being wrong. And perhaps even sadder, we are slow to grant, to grant forgiveness to those who seek it from us. So in conclusion this evening, I was told people pay attention if you say in conclusion, so I'm going to start saying that all the time now. I think I do, though. In conclusion, to wrap this all up, if someone is gossiping against you, you first bring it before the Lord, and then you go to that person directly. If that person doesn't receive it, Bring another person. They still don't receive it. Bring uh, a youth leader. Bring someone in the church. If they still don't receive it, then you love them no matter what. The key is you always love. And so here's the secret. The secret to evading the attacks of the enemy when he wants to sow discord in the body of Christ is to be content in all things. Always. To not need your worth to come from other people's opinions. It's not to say, I'm just, I don't care what anyone thinks. It's to say that even if nobody likes me, Jesus Christ loves me and died for me and gave himself for me. He himself knows what it's like to be lonely because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane about to be betrayed, all of his best friends were sleeping in the garden. They couldn't even stay up with him one hour. And some of you have, have had times when people stayed up with you. Maybe your parents stayed up with you when you watched a scary movie. His best friends weren't there for them when, when he needed them most. If there's anyone who knows what it's like to be alone, it was Jesus Christ. No one understood him. But he's there to sympathize with your weaknesses and to know what it's like when you are hurt, when you are reviled, when people call you names, when people say terrible things that they shouldn't say, you can forgive them because your value, once again, doesn't come from people. It comes from God. And so now, because you're content in all things, whether people love you or whether people hate you, it doesn't even matter because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so now you can love your enemies. You can love your neighbor as yourself. You can do nice things for people because it doesn't even matter the response. You could send people all kinds of things. You could send people letters in the mail where you're saying, hey, just praying for you. Just thinking about you today. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And if they respond and retaliate and they're upset and they're like, can you just get off my back and go away, it doesn't matter because you have done your duty before the Lord and you don't need them to approve of what you're doing. So that should cause us to be able to heal the relationships that are broken. 
And maybe you have a relationship tonight that you know has been broken. Maybe there's a person that, that's coming to mind even right now that you haven't talked to in a long time because of some gossip that's been stirred up. Now's the time to forgive. Now is the time to go repent. Maybe you have to go up to that person and say that you're sorry. But let's heal those wounds. Jesus said that by this, people will know that you are my disciples. By how cool your youth group is. No, he didn't say that. By how awesome your hair is. He didn't say that either. He said by your love for one another. So a mark as a Christian is not even loving the people that aren't saved. It's loving each other because that's sometimes the hardest thing to do. It's easy to love people that are in a foreign country. When we go on a Haiti mission trip, it's easy to love people that, that you don't have a relationship with. It's hard to love people that you think hate you. And it's hard to love people that you know have done terrible things against you. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. Jesus Christ loved us while we were still sinners. While we didn't care about him, when we were doing our own thing, he died for you and me, even if no one accepted him. And even if nobody else wanted to follow him, he still died for you. And that's the kind of love that you can receive tonight. So let's bow our heads right now.